0: WCNC Charlotte, this is Flashpoint where power and politics collide and the tough questions get asked and answered.
1: Thanks for joining us here on Flashpoint. I'm Ben Thompson. This week, state lawmakers making a major push for what they call school choice. Republicans pushing a bill that would pump more than a billion dollars into a private school voucher program. It would offer to subsidize private education for every family in North Carolina, no matter race, neighborhood or income. In a moment, we'll speak to a teacher who says pumping all that taxpayer money into private schools will only undermine our public school system, a system studies say is already severely underfunded. But first, joining us now, former state senator and member of the UNC Board of Governors, Joel Ford, who openly supports schools choice. Welcome back to Flashpoint, Joel. Thank you. I should say you've been coming on this show longer than I've been guesting on this show, so you're you're a longtime friend of the program.
0: I appreciate it and always enjoy coming on and having the open and transparent conversation.
1: Speaking of, let's do it. Um, Generally speaking, let's take a broad view of of school choice. Um, Before we get into the specifics of of what's being proposed in Raleigh, um, why do you believe families should have more of a say in what schools their kids attend?
0: I believe that families um, should have a choice in their child's education, primarily because no one knows better what their kid needs than a parent and so speaking from experience uh, my family we have transitioned from the public school and ended up will be graduating this year from a charter school and so it is a progression but as a as a parent um, as a family we feel empowered when we have choice in where our kid goes to school
1: I think of what you just said uh, appeals to probably a lot of parents out there and, and, and makes some sense, even though we know some people don't necessarily agree with it. Let's, do, though, dig into the details, because I think that's where some people are, are sort of disagreeing with uh, where this is possibly headed. This new uh, Choose Your School, Choose Your Future bill opens up vouchers to all income levels. Um, you know, opponents point out billionaires could get it. Um, you, you don't have to be in public schools either. Um, in other words, folks who are currently paying for private school by choice. Will now get some sort of reimbursement uh, or subsidy it, i mean is that a, a smart fair use of taxpayer money
0: i do primarily because it is taxpayer money and the money doesn't automatically belongs to the local public school and and that's one of the fundamental changes that is evolving in public education and, and having a choice having a say in where your child goes to school is extremely important and empowering. Ultimately, Ben, it is about the student, right? What is going to be best for them? And how can we set them up for success in the future? And so that may look like a public school. It may look like a private school. It may look like a charter school, but the family should be able to choose.
1: And speaking of choose, could a family say under this bill, choose another public school? Because if not, then is this really school choice if, if they're only allowed to pick, say, private schools?
0: So, no, absolutely not. Um, the, the, there are a number of different options for families to be able to choose from. So, I don't buy that argument. And so, look, if the local public school is performing and providing the educational services that families need, public school advocates don't have anything to worry about.
1: Uh, A lot of these schools are religious schools when we're talking about private schools Um, now getting a a massive inflow of taxpayer dollars. A a Duke study found that our voucher program is largely unregulated. Um, should, Should taxpayers worry about how that money is being used and what's being taught?
0: Let's be clear. The lion's share of the public resources when it comes to the federal subsidy for food, when it comes to public transportation and the per pupil spending, stays with the local school. So if a family chooses to have the money that is allocated for that child to go to a private school, I believe that that family should be empowered to do so. More importantly, let's keep in mind, whose money is it, right? So it's the taxpayer's earners' money who is the one who's generating the revenue that the state is giving it back to.
1: So that same Duke study, though, sa- said that the North Carolina voucher program is well designed to promote parental choice, especially for parents who prefer religious education for their kids. It is poorly designed, however, it says, to promote better academic outcomes for children and is l- unlikely to do so over time. Your response to that?
0: No, I, I don't buy that argument either. Because let's 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 be clear. In the marketplace, if that child who is going to that private school is not learning, is not reading on grade level, is not advancing, then again, the parent is empowered. I think that the public school advocates are concerned about the wrong thing, right? So let's talk about the main things that the public schools should be concerned about. You've got 80% of black and brown children in this state that can't be that can't read by third grade. Then that is a huge issue that they don't want to talk about.
1: So let's talk about though, because, I mean, you talk about public schools and the other side of this is not only, you know, the private schools and the vouchers, but also about public school funding. I think nobody would have any problem with any of this and giving all the money in the world to to private schools, if necessary, if it weren't for the fact that public schools have been struggling. And we know that. In fact, you joke in a tweet just a few days ago, um, virtual school with low test scores, close it. Charter school with low test scores, close it. Voucher schools with low test scores in vouchers traditional public schools with low test scores. You can't expect miracles. We need more money. I know you're somewhat being funny in the, in the tweet, but I mean, currently North Carolina ranks towards the bottom of the list of what states are spending on education. So is public school spending right now, is it really su- sufficient?
0: So this is what I'll say to you, to those parents and those who are concerned about the funding in the public school model. Uh, all we have to do, Ben, is go back and look at Project Lyft where we spent an additional $60 million that no one in Charlotte-Mecklenburg wants to talk about anymore. You know why? Because it wasn't a success. So if more money was the answer, Project Lyft would have been a success. So anybody who comes on this show and starts talking about more money, we have example after example where we have spent more money. Can we invest more in public education? Absolutely. Should we? Yes. And so now is the perfect time to do so, primarily because under this current leadership, there is an estimated $6.5 billion more in this budget. So my last point is this. It's not an either or. It's a both and because we are blessed as a state to have the resources to be able to do both. The public school advocates need to be more concerned about how they're spending the money that they have to get the best outcomes.
1: Where do you see this headed? Like not just in the next three, four, five years or even 10 years, but say 20 years down the road, um, assuming this bill goes through and you have a much more robust, uh, healthy voucher program um, and you have families choosing to send their kids wherever. What does that mean for public schools 20 years down the road? And what does that mean for our overall education system?
0: I believe that the public school system is currently empowered. They currently receive the lion's share of the public resources, local, state and federal. We need to have a plan that involves the local family so that we can get buy in to get different outcomes and results for our kids. Look, I am a public school advocate and champion. I graduated from the public school system, right? but I had a single mother that was involved and invested in my educational success. Right now, the public school advocates don't want to talk about the violence in classrooms. They don't want to talk about the disruption in classrooms. They don't want to talk about the disrespect in the public classroom. For kids like mine who had to sit through that, through that disruption while trying to learn, it's not fair to my kid. And anyone Who wants to advocate for having my kid and other kids be subjected to that?
1: Shame on them. All right, Joel Ford, uh, always uh, passionate, always uh, uh, the guy to talk to when it talks to so many uh, issues, including education. We've had you on, as we've said before, uh, to talk about a whole variety of issues. Um, I, I know education is one that you're perhaps most passionate about. Joel, thanks for coming on. We do appreciate it as always.
0: Thank you very much for having me and have a great day.
1: You too. More Flashpoint after this. Welcome back to Flashpoint. The North Carolina General Assembly pushing forward with legislation that would give families more access to private schools. But teachers worry pumping all this extra money into a voucher system will only hurt already underfunded public schools. Joining us now on Flashpoint, Justin Parmenter. He's a CMS teacher and public school advocate. Uh, Justin, welcome back to Flashpoint. We appreciate it.
2: Thank you. Glad to be here.
1: Listen, supporters of school choice say fund students and not systems. And when you hear that saying, I mean, it's it's kind of catchy. But But for you, why, in your view, is it misguided?
2: Yeah, I think... It is. You know, unfortunately, I think when we have this conversation about uh, school choice and and freedom, I think that the intent is to use emotionally charged language um, because this is America and we're supposed to be all about freedom all the time. But when your choices have a negative impact on the education that others are receiving, it's not just about your own personal choice. And so I think this approach is depleting resources that we really need in our traditional public and I think we need to be able to have an honest conversation about it uh, without resorting to emotionally charged language.
1: Um, Advocates of of this new sort of reform in in Raleigh will say that this does not necessarily mean that resources are not going to be headed to public schools. Instead, that this can be a both and and not an either or. What do you say to them?
2: well i think it's absurd to say that this is not money that was going to go to public schools anyway i mean we're we're talking about sending a half a billion dollars a, a year to um, primarily to private schools and the general assembly can use that money for anything they want to use it for so i think that money should be going to our traditional public schools where those resources are really needed
1: let me ask you this um if if a public school is struggling to bring up test scores and maybe it has some issues with violence, why shouldn't parents have the option of putting their kids in, in a school that has, has better options?
2: Well, I mean, I think it, it is good for students to have, um, to have options, families deserve options. Here in Mecklenburg County, we've got a fantastic magnet system in Charlotte-Mecklenburg schools that I think should be the model that we, um, that we follow. Um, you know, our traditional public schools do a whole lot better job at accepting students, at honoring who they are. Um, and you know, if we can if we can take the public school approach that doesn't discriminate against children, um, that respects them for who they are, and also provides them with some options that are good for them i think that would be the ideal approach but of course to do that in the traditional public school setting requires resources and when we're taking those resources and sending them somewhere else then we aren't able to provide those sort of options to to families within the traditional public school system that our society is built on
1: and you make the case that that i know that uh, you are now diverting resources to to private institutions that are often um religious uh, uh, institutions and often don't exactly reflect the the diversity of our communities and, and in some cases uh, will discriminate against some students.
2: That's right. Yeah, you know, our Constitution in North Carolina says no person shall be subject to discrimination by the state because of religion. And so to use state funding for an education that requires students to have specific religious beliefs, to me, I mean, I'm a teacher and not a lawyer or a judge, but that seems like a violation of of, of that section of the Constitution. You know, many of these religious schools who to take voucher money don't admit students who are gay or you know explicitly say in their handbooks that being gay is grounds for expulsion Um, Fayetteville Christian School got 1.3 million dollars this year and they stand to get a whole lot more if this new legislation passes their handbook says they will not admit Mormons Jehovah's Witnesses Muslims Jews and, and other religions and they also say that homosexuals are deviant and perverted and can't attend either now personally as a human and a taxpayer I have a huge ethical problem Problem with my public tax dollars being given to institutions who are legally able to discriminate in this way and that's not how public schools treat kids and i don't think we should be using using our public dollars to support those kind of uh, organizations
1: what do you say to folks who say that pouring more money into public schooling is not necessarily going to have the outcomes that someone like you would want joel ford we had on the program he pointed out project lift here in charlotte is an example of millions of spent that really didn't Um, have the intended consequences that, that folks wanted. What would you say to those people?
2: What I would say to those people is, how do you know that putting all this money into vouchers and sending kids to private schools is going to result in the academic outcomes that we're after? I mean, in North Carolina, we have the least regulated and least accountable voucher system in the entire country. We have um, no requirements in terms of accreditation. We have no requirements in terms of uh, having licensed teachers, regulation of curriculum, no state testing requirements. So we have, you know, we're talking about spending billions of dollars on a system that we have no way of knowing if we're getting a good return on investment. So I would just turn that question around and say, fine, you don't think that spending more money on traditional public schools is is going to get us to where we want to go? How do we know that? It's because we're measuring those outcomes, but in these voucher schools, we're not. So I think taxpayers deserve a little bit more accountability than that.
1: What's your concern, not, not just in the next year or next five years, but your concern 20 years down the road about what this will do to education in North Carolina?
2: I think what we're seeing is a slow move toward the complete destruction of the traditional public school in North Carolina, and you know I'm not sure if that's the intent, but in in practice that's what's happening because we are slowly starving our traditional public schools as we create more and more choice in you know in under the guise of of celebrating freedom and giving people what they want. What we're doing is we're we're um, you know, we're diluting the quality of the educational opportunities that are available to our children. And we're going to keep doing that until we get to the point where um, nobody is getting a good outcome. And I don't think that's where we want to go.
1: All right. Justin Parmenter joining us from Ocracoke, we should say this morning. Justin, thanks for coming on Flashpoint again. We appreciate it.
2: All right. Thank you so much.
1: All right. Take care. More Flashpoint after this. Welcome back to Flashpoint. They line our roads meant to help save lives, but a WCNC trial investigation found some of the guardrails on North Carolina's highways are potentially dangerous, all because of the way they're installed. Assembled using mismatched parts, they're often called Frankenstein guardrails. Nate Morbido is seeking solutions this morning and getting results.
3: Every time Steve Imers gets behind the wheel, he's driven to save someone's life.
1: This one right there.
3: The same guardrails that are now just part of the landscape for most of us, he can't ignore.
0: There's a Frankenstein
3: one. His crusade began on November 1st, 2016, when his teenage daughter, Hannah, died after crashing into a guardrail in Tennessee. Nothing prepares you for the shock and horror of losing your child. Nearly six and a half years later. This is a lot worse than I thought. He's in the middle of Billy Graham Parkway. This is just completely and totally wrong. Explaining why this safety device is actually dangerous. These blockouts do not go with that system. With Imer's help, we've identified more than 15 Frankenstein guardrails in our area. It's just combinations from different systems that are not tested that way. Just a fraction of what he believes. So we're probably talking hundreds. Is a systemic problem from 485 to 77 to Wilkinson Boulevard. That's been Frankenstein. 26 in Hendersonville. Major screw up here. To several on this stretch of 74 in Shelby. Four Frankenstein girls. And of course, and it's very similar this one on Billy Graham to the crash that killed Hunter Burns. Imers says Burns died after colliding with a Frankenstein guardrail in Florida. It's hard to be strong. The 22 year old's parents. It's hard to talk about. And the Alonzo family said a Frankenstein guardrail in Georgia killed their 18 year old daughter, Isabella. It's just devastating. What are you all going to do about it? Kevin Lacey is with the North Carolina Department of Transportation. If we are aware of it, yes, we will fix it. The agency's pledge to repair the ones we've identified, but NCDOT is responsible for more miles of roadway than any other state in the U.S. except Texas. Yes. And Lacey says the agency is better off spending its limited dollars replacing outdated guardrails rather than scouring the state for improperly assembled ones. There's a likelihood that we would save more lives He cited federal data that show while the number of guardrail crashes has increased, the percentage of those that resulted in serious injuries or deaths remains low. These devices are performing far superior than what they were years ago. Adding there's no evidence Frankenstein guardrails pose a widespread danger in North Carolina. We're not aware of fatalities or severe injuries involving these. I'm not saying that it's going to operate as it was intended to operate. The state tells us it is being proactive on this issue, planning training for its employees and contractors to make sure guardrails are properly installed the first time. In Raleigh, Nate Morabito, WCNC Charlotte.
1: If you're wondering if you drive by one of these Frankenstein guardrails on your daily commute, we can help you find out. If you scan this QR code on your screen, it will then take you to an interactive map where you can see where each one is located in our state. We also have a map included in Nate's article on our website, wcnc.com, and inside our mobile app. More Flashpoint right after this. Welcome back to Flashpoint, folks. Come interact with us on social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, you name it, we're there. And if there's something you want us to talk about here on Flashpoint, we talk about everything, not just politics. Let us know. And as always, remember to listen and subscribe to our podcast. You can find it wherever you get yours and we'll see you back here next weekend.